Welcome to the God-Centered Recovery Podcast brought to you by Narrowgate Ministries. This podcast is dedicated to giving you a God-centered approach to recovery and to life. Follow along. Let's get started. All right, man. Welcome back to the God-Centered Men's Recovery Podcast. I am your host, Tim Holloway, and I am glad to be back at you again. So we're going to jump right in our topic here today. We're going to forget about all the introductions and all that cool little stuff, but uh, I've been uh, something really uh, inspiring that I want to talk to you about, but I want to set it up in a way that uh, so it makes sense. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the heart, and then hopefully we get into the topic. If not, um, I will drop it next week or something. But uh, here we are. It's Genesis 6, 5, and it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So this is a um, a precursor to or a foundation to what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the parable of the rich man um, that Jesus uh, gives a parable about. A rich young ruler that comes to him and he asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. Uh, But before we do that, I want to set the foundation of the conditions of men's hearts. I find it uh, very important to thoroughly grasp and understand this because um, it is definitely a foundational principle. And that is that if we get this wrong, if we don't thoroughly understand uh, the concept of depravity, um, then we can go sideways in a lot of different areas. Um, and so what m- may seem like something very minute or something very small, um, when you get going along your path, you, you find yourself far from your destination if you don't really consider this point. And that is that the wickedness of men's hearts was great. And this, um, starting out in the book, talking about the heart. I think this is important to grasp and to realize, you know, according to the law of first mention. And that is that the uh, law of first mention says you you look at the first time that word or that concept or that analogy is brought forth. And it's very important the first time it is mentioned. And it'll give it a, an important definition as you go on further, you know, inside of a book. Um, so I find here the law of first mention is highly important. And here we are talking about the heart and we're going to define what that is here in a second. But it is first mentioned here in Genesis 6 in the beginning as man's heart uh, uh, that God saw that the wickedness of man was was great and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart, there's the word, uh, was continually evil. So coming from the description of man's heart is the definition in the mindset that it was um, continually evil. And so we're going to dissect that and see what that means. So when you look up uh, uh, this word uh, wickedness, that God saw that the wickedness of man was great, this this idea of wickedness is, is, is something far different. Uh, you know, when we think of a wicked person, we think of somebody who uh, is definitely maliciously and intentionally uh, does uh, uh, bad things. But, you know, as we look into the Hebrew and we define these words, 
um, they're not quite what we think them to be. And so this word uh, wickedness that was great is wretchedness. And when we think of wretchedness, it, it, it comes from, you know, somebody who's like deeply afflicted. It comes from somebody who is uh, dejected. Uh, it comes from somebody who is distressed, you know, inside of their body or inside of their mind. And it also just means to be all out miserable. And so the first de definition here is God looking upon the um, state of man and saying that he is in a state of wretchedness. And that is he is deeply afflicted, he is dejected, he is distressed, and he is pretty much all out miserable in some way or fashion. And so why is this important? Uh, it is important for multiple different reasons. The first reason is, is it, it sets us up to really thoroughly understand the gospel and what it's about. And I find that to be a very good thing that, um, and and a very surprising thing also because I think that we assume that people um, have heard the gospel when they have it. And we assume people have uh, are saved and they have started a relationship with God when they haven't. And because, because they don't know the storyline and they don't know the narrative. So God has a perspective, God has a storyline, and he has a narrative. And from the beginning, here in Genesis, he says that he saw, that means he was uh, overseeing and he was looking and he seen the conditions of men's heart and it was an overall wretchedness. Now, uh, that is important once again for recovery is to thoroughly understand the uh, the wretchedness of uh, of just our common addictions. And if there's anything an addict is, and that is one who has given themselves repeatedly over to an addictive substance or an addictive uh, uh, scenario um, that causes a lot of pain for other people, it's wretched. And the man is deeply uh, afflicted and deeply dejected, distressed, and all those words described in this overall wretchedness. So I think it's a, important to remember how wretched uh, some of those activities were uh, because, you know, I think we begin to glorify them inside of our minds and we remember the good old days, right? We remember the days when uh, addiction might have been fun. Uh, it might have been uh, achieved a euphoric state. It might have achieved a very happy uh, end or goal or whatever it is. And we romanticize those situations when, in fact, uh, we deeply forget the wretchedness uh, that is inside that. So here we have uh, the start of the portrayal of the condition of men's hearts. And it starts out with this idea of dejected. Uh, you know, and I find that uh, to be really closely related to uh, rejectedness. And so when I think about this, I think about, of course, the story of Adam and Eve that uh, they were given full reign of the garden and they were, you know, told not to eat of this certain fruit. And of course, they they gave in to the temptation. They thought I was going to make them wise. They thought they were going to be uh, the appealingness of being like God was overwhelming and all of these different things. And then, of course, after they uh, partook, we see the negative effects that begin to take place inside of their lives, which were uh, running, hiding, uh, guilt, shame, lying, uh, excuses, 
uh, blame transfer um, and, and overall justifications uh, for their behavior. So when someone asks me, what is the depravity of man? I say what took place after the fall, and we see it. it it's clear as day. Uh, it doesn't need much interpretation or explanation uh, when men uh, uh, fail when they begin to when they chose sin when their allegiance was challenged and they 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 chose to uh, follow a different allegiance that we see the manifestation of the effects inside of their hearts inside of their lives immediately uh, that being said uh, when we talk about the depravity of man being utterly uh, depraved that it, it just comes from the idea of uh, living in fear uh, falling short of the mark and having this fear-based, shame-based nature. And so I think it's important to point that out. So these other words that describe um, the wickedness is evil, and that is resembling or benefiting from, uh, from evil and its fall. And so for this, we got to understand the origin of sin. And now some people think that the garden was the origin of sin, and that's just not really reality. Sin started in the heart of, of an angel who said, you know what? I'm, I'm looking at the most high and I begin to lust after what, uh, what he is and everything that he is. And I want to be like him. And so I'm going to uh, start a coup and I'm going to reject his rule over me and that I'm going to begin to rule and reign over myself. And I'm going to set up my kingdom and I am going to rule and reign and I'm going to be like the most high. Now, that is the original sin that took place in the heart of Lucifer. And so when he says, when God says, you know, the wickedness of man was great, he was correlating that to evil and resembling the same mindset in the same belief systems that, that took Lucifer to the pit. And that is the self-will, the self-justification, the self-enthronement, the self-deification that says, you know what, I'm going to be God and I am going to uh, reign and I'm going to be the master of my own fate and the captain of my own soul. And so here we see that uh, um, that wickedness is that resemblance to the original sin. Lastly is this word harm, and that is to uh, to cause damage. Uh, and this, of course, means to um, to rehurt, uh, hurt other people and to begin to cause pain. So God said this wickedness, this wretchedness, this evil, this harmful attitude uh, was great inside of the earth and that it was it was in abundance. <laughs> I like the way this uh, this word great is um, translated and understood because it kind of gives us analogy to fully grasp the meaning. And that is to the brim. When you fill a cup to the brim, uh, it is full, right? And it is about to overflow. And so when you begin to see that analogy in regards to the greatness of, of the wretchedness of man, his dejectedness and, and his overall following the example and the pattern of evil, that it, it was to the brim. It was full and it, and it was overflowing, and the other example that it gives is to, you know, ample, multiply, and to be mighty. And this all in, uh, in, in gives us the insight of growth and development and just really a, a massive amount of supply. 
But it gives us another analogy of being jam-packed, and that is that uh, uh, much like a, a can or a drawer or something that, uh, that is much like a container, that it is jam-packed and it is fully loaded. And uh, you could kind of see that analogy in your mind. Now think about it as the, the wretchedness being to the brim, full, overflowing, jam-packed, and fully loaded. And the last analogy that it gives is this saturatedness. And that is to be fully saturated. And so you take a, a rag that is dry uh, and that is clean. And you put it inside a substance that is dirty uh, uh, and that is wet. And the idea of this wickedness being great is a full saturation. So full to the brim, about to overflow, jam-packed and fully loaded and uh, saturated in its entirety. So um, the book of Genesis goes on here that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart was only, only evil continually. So I want to uh, discuss what it is, you know, as far as this imagination, because, you know, I find it to be um, something of real importance. Now, imagination uh, in this verse is not talking about, uh, you know, some <laughs> exploration of the, uh, of the imagination as we know it, but it actually means to form these uh, concepts uh, uh, frames and general purpose and idea. So this is talking about a mindset that has a conception that has a frame, uh, that is not uh, beneficial, um, to the person. So when we think of a concept, we think of like, uh, general ideas, right? We think of, uh, you know, the sum total beliefs of somebody's uh, frame of mind, and their personal ideas that construct uh, their worldview. Um, in, in construction, a frame is the, you know, uh, from the foundation, the frame is built upon the foundation. And it's it's the the uh, organization or, or the or I'm sorry, the part that is considered the the structure, right? It's what that gives uh, shape and strength to, to a building. So with those concepts in mind, the, the imagination of men's heart is the concepts, the ideas, uh, the personal beliefs that they have formed and the frame that, that, uh, that supports their life. And then there's also this idea of purpose, and that is like intention. Uh, the intention, the imagination is the intention, the resolution, and the de determination of a person's heart. And so when it all comes down to this, that this, this imagination is the sum total of a person's mindset and belief systems and their plans and their intentions. So uh, God says this, that their heart or their imagination of their thoughts of their heart are evil continually, evil continually. So I want to um, give us a concept and a formation of frame uh, for the heart. And the heart is the center of the being. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, I believe there are some 700 and 800 to 800 words that talk about the heart. Uh, 
and the conditions of men's hearts and the motivation of their heart into love the Lord your God with all your heart and all this different stuff. But what we can gather from beginning to end is that the 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 book is written to sway. Uh, the 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 book was written to cause men to trust uh, God from their heart and to understand the condition of their heart apart from God and to undergo a transformation of their heart while they're connected to God. And so from the beginning to end, you see this theme of the heart, and that is the core and the center of your being. Now, this idea of core is like a seat that that uh, uh, is in the center um, where ones like uh, where your deepest thoughts and your emotions and your your paradigms, your belief systems, and uh, everything that that is considered you is like the the core, the center of your being, the seat in the center of the thoughts and the emotions. And what this gives is the analogy of uh, being the headquarters. Like if you ever went to uh, different buildings uh, for the company. Uh, for a, a big company, you will notice that they have a headquarter office. I worked for a big construction firm. Uh, actually, I worked for uh, two of the biggest in the United States. I worked for number one and I worked for number two. And they had a headquarters, right? They had a corporate office uh, that was in a certain location. They had multiple uh, sub headquarters, you know, inside of the community and different things like that. But the reality is, is that this headquarters is uh, is a great analogy and explanation of your heart, and that is there is a there is a seat, there is a council, <laughs> there is a center in the core of your being that's considered much like a headquarters that gives out um, decrees. It tells the body uh, what to do. Um, it gives you a direction and focus to what uh, what kind of activities that you're doing inside of your life. So inside of this headquarters, uh, you know, inside of business, there are leaders there. Uh, there are uh, commanders, if you say, if we're talking about the military and a headquarters and a base, there are commanders there and they perform certain functions and, and commands and this, that, and the other thing. And so when we talk about the heart, it is the, it is the seat where the commander dwells. And to understand that properly, man in his general state is the commander, and he's sitting on the seat of his heart, and he is, uh, he's pulling all administrative duties. He's pulling all the command functions and, and, and performing uh, everything that is in regards to his life. Now, the gospel sets up something far different. And that is man uh, uh, denies himself and he humbles himself and he steps off the seat. Uh, he steps away from the commander role. He steps away from the administrative role and gives that to uh, somebody else. And that is the King Jesus. And that we are part of uh, uh, the gospel of the kingdom. And that gospel is that there is a king and I am not it. And I think, you know, as far as recovery, I think that's a really important uh, truth to grasp, 
not only the other depravity of our heart that continually seeks evil and, and goes astray, but this idea of, you know what, I'm going to deny myself, I'm going to forsake myself, and I'm going to step off the throne, and I'm going to allow uh, Christ to be enthroned in my life, and I'm going to have his influence, his sway, his opinion, his worldview to begin to take place inside of my heart and inside of my life. And I think, uh, and I know, and I believe inside of my heart that that's what uh, salvation is all about. But I do believe that that's what a positive, powerful recovery is all about. Because most of our shortcomings, most of the time we fall into temptation, most of the time when we fail, what are we doing? We're fighting over the throne. And what we're saying is, you know what? Um, I'm going to resurrect my flesh, <laughs> my sinful nature, and I'm going to resurrect that, and I'm going to uh, place that upon a throne, and I'm going to um, choose my own mindsets, my own paradigms, and my own belief systems above that which is God. And it's funny, you know, sometimes uh, when I share in different ways, uh, people Im immediately go, well, that's your opinion. That's your opinion. And this is a, a straw man attempt to discredit you uh, that uh, what you're saying is good for you, but it's not good for them, and that it's somehow your opinion. And what I try to do in, in communication with this podcast is to not give you my opinion. In fact, my opinion is not very good. Uh, most of my uh, my opinions were definitely wrong, and I have submitted them uh, through the process of God and through the process of the Word. And they have, and uh, I have changed. I have laid them down. And each time that I see a paradigm and a belief system that really doesn't line up to what the Spirit of God wants in my life, I endeavor to lay that down. And so when I come to you uh, in most uh, stances, unless there's certain uh, places where you know God hasn't uh, uh, fully begun to reign inside of my life, that I'm not bringing you Tim's opinion. Like Tim's opinion doesn't mean much, right? Uh, you know, if you were to ask me what my opinion was five years ago, I, I would spew off a lot of different opinions and, and hardly any of them would um, be in conformity to the will of God. And so what I'm, not, what I'm talking to you today is about God's opinion. When we, we jump in and we, uh, we dissect when we look at a scripture and say, you know what, I'm, I, want to, I want God to speak to me. I want him to tell me what he means by this. And I want him to uh, really educate me and give me his view and opinion. <clears throat> when we do that, we might come against things that we don't like. And that is when God looked upon man, and this is the, in the ancient of days, a long time ago. And he looked upon the conditions of men's hearts, and he said that uh, his heart is only evil continually. And that is in this headquarter, in this operation place, the way he functioned, the way he gives commands, the way he operates, the way he takes authority, the way he uh, makes choices, and all of these different things, uh, God was saying that it is evil in a continual fashion. And uh, that word evil goes back to the word wicked. Um, they, they put two different words words there, but they mean the exact same thing. And that is that our hearts are in a form of wretchedness, <laughs> uh, dejectedness, distressness, and an overall miserableness. 
And uh, the sooner we recognize the the natural uh, condition of humanity, the better off we will really understand uh, God's message and God's purpose. <clears throat> so he goes on, the heart is evil continually. And this word continually is, is a powerful packed word and it means to be holy. Not to be holy in the sense of like separate and sanctified and all that stuff, but holy as in completely. That the whole thing, all of it, every part. Now, fully uh, means in every manner and every de uh, degree completely. And holy means to the full extent, uh, the full and, and the entire extent, and total, absolutely. And so this kind of uh, goes against the message that uh, is taking place in the world today uh, that calls uh, human nature at its core good. When God's view and perspective is that human nature at his core is wretched, uh, it is a miserable and is a state of dejection. And uh, looking at Adam and Eve and is a state of making excuses. It's in a state of failing to take responsibility. It's in a, a state of fear. And that is uh, not only fear and afraid of God, but uh, just an inner uh, core of insecurity that begins to govern uh, the entire nature of man. Um, and inside there, there is a shame-based nature that we are highly connected uh, to shame and, and feel that at our core. So looking at a man in the light of God's view and opinion. Now, one, uh, the world says that uh, man is lovely, right? Man, uh, um, it, it, it doesn't shed light on any of these things. It doesn't shed light on the justifications, the excuses, the failure to take responsibility, the running and hiding from God, the living in shame. It doesn't take uh, into nature any form of reality, but says, you know what, man is great. Um, and there's a problem with that because um, the failure to focus on the full reality and the full condition and that is when I know and understand that I make excuses. When I know and understand, and I forgot, I forgot a very important man at his core is a liar. Um, <laughs> from, <laughs> I'll just tell you this quick story, but um, the test that they did uh, on uh, children, and they uh, they put something behind the curtain, they were told not to peek, and, and of course the scientists left, left the room. And uh, little by little, they all begin to peak, right? But not only is that a, a, a bad thing, because, but it gives us an understanding of human nature that when, when a law is set up and we're told not to do something, we are na by nature cur curious, and we by nature want to um, cross boundaries and, and to explore and kind of see for ourselves. So that in itself is, is a... Is a um, Definitely a concept of uh, of being wretched for sure. But the the worst thing about it is that the children begin to lie uh, thereafter. So starting at uh, two to three years old, um, the kids peaked and they lied about it. And I think it went from, if I remember the study right, uh, from thirty percent up to seventy percent. That is, by the time you got to seven, seventy percent of the kids lied about it. Uh, when they were about three, they were a little more innocent. It was more closer to 25%. So one in four kids peeked behind the thing and lied about it at four years old, 
three to four years old. And then by seven or eight years old, 70% uh, peaked and lied about it. So what that tells me is, is the learned behavior of lying works and that, you know, within the condition of our heart, not only is there justification, rationalization, excuses and all of these different things, but at the core, there is uh, deception and then there's lying about it. And I think this deception, this lying comes because uh, we don't feel right about ourselves. And we, we feel guilty and we feel shame. And of course, we want to cover it up. And what that correlates to is pretend like uh, the sin doesn't exist. Pretend like you didn't fall short. Pretend this, that, and the other thing. But the, the reality is, is that men wants to cover, uh, cover their corruption. And uh, we see that fully in the nature of man. So a uh, total and absolute uh, condition of the, uh, man's heart being wicked. And so, as I said in the beginning of this, starting out, that the, the law of first mention, that it first mentions heart in relation to man as being a wicked, um, but then we give the law of first mention that according to God, from his perspective, what's going on is in his heart, and Genesis 6, 6 gives that. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. So at uh, the first mention of man's heart is uh, of utter depravity. And the first mention of God's heart is being grieved. And so I find this very important to, to the general theme of the Bible. And that is that you look out throughout history and it doesn't matter what man you look at. They're all marred. They're all sinners. We could start with... Uh, with Abraham, and we can go on to uh, Noah, we can go on to Moses, we can go on to all these different men who made excuses, who failed to take responsibility, who lied, who cheated, who stole, right? Who got a little too drunk, who who failed to protect his wife, who had lust for, for multiple different women and had some 300 concubines, which are sex slaves. And so we see the general theme throughout the Bible is that uh, man has a problem and that when it comes to the condition of his heart, it is, it is one to sway away from the truth. It is not one to keep the truth. It is not one to measure up to the standard in its entirety. And I think it's really important to get that message. But here God is that, uh, you know, after he talks about the conditions of men's heart and he began to repent of making them that uh, he was grieved in his heart. And it's important to understand that we see our hearts as, um, as one of wickedness, of one of just overall wretchedness, but then we see his heart uh, grieved and that is to be hurt. Uh, that is to be angered, and that is to be vexed. And so man's heart is wicked and God's heart is vexed. And the vexation comes because God created uh, man in his image and his likeness, and he was meant to rule and reign uh, over his environment, and that he was set up and had the potential to, to do awesome and great things. Now, he uh, decided to take a different path and to kind of forfeit his inheritance and kind of lose his potential. And so here we have the father's heart that is vexed and in anger because of what has taken place. Think about this for a moment, that your child 
uh, has a lot of potential. And I mean a lot of potential. They could be a doctor or a lawyer. Their intelligence is through the roof, right? And all of these things. But uh, instead of going to college, they decide to go on some hippie extravaganza and and uh, uh, start smoking weed and have free love and free sex and all of these different things. And they're starting doing ecstasy. And they're like, you know, experiencing God. And you look down upon it and you're like, man, you know their potential. You know what they can become. And the only thing that is going to fill your heart is a vexation, <laughs> is, an, is a hurt. Um, and you're going to be angered in some way or fashion. And you're going to be angered because there is habits, there is behaviors, there is mindsets, and there is belief systems that is pulling your child into a pit. And they, by their choices and by their decisions, are going to be so far removed from their potential that it uh, it disturbs you. And so here we see a kind of a viewpoint of man in his wretchedness and his vexation, or I'm sorry, in his wretchedness and his sin. And then we see God in and the state of hurt uh, and vexation due to the pain of seeing. Uh, the choices his children are making. And I think every father can uh, grab a hold of this. Every father can relate uh, because, (laughs) you know, we are older, we are wiser. We come a vantage point of perspective that uh, we have done many things and we've gained a lot of wisdom upon the way. And the reality is, is that uh, we know far better than our children. And that is that we can see certain pitfalls, we can see certain things. And uh, understanding the heart and nature of God in his anger, um, we could see how he could be grieved because of the choices of his children. Now, I say uh, all that to, to, to bring the lesson tomorrow, which we'll talk about. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to do it today. But I do want to focus on this idea of anger because we have people... Uh, spouting off how angry God is and how frustrated he is and how he hates sin and all these different things. And all of these realities are true. Uh, but it's important to see the motivation and the reason behind it, that uh, his heart is under vexation and anger because of the condition of men's hearts and the choices that they make. And that is that men, since the beginning of time, have chose evil. Uh, they have chose to hurt people. They've chose to lie to people. They've chose to fail to take responsibility. And they chose to all out um, hurt people. And so understanding why God is angry, why there might be some sort of vexation, I think is really, really important. And that is if you've seen something tearing the life up your, of your children, you would no doubt get angry. You would no doubt be hurt and vexed in some way or manner. And so getting in touch with the anger and the wrath of God towards sin is adopting the mindset and understanding that he is coming against the, the, the nature and the force that is causing his children to experience uh, a lot of pain. And that his anger is towards the situation. It's much like this. 
that, you know, if I had a child who was an addict and they were abusing drugs and uh, they lived out on their own, they're, you know, 18 to 25 or whatever, and they were making choices and decisions that, um, that caused them a lot of pain and they were going down the path of addiction. Uh, and if it was to drugs, let's just say that they're, you know, sp selling and pawning everything. They've already uh, lost their job and they're uh, living off the system in the government and they're stealing from other people to uh, support their habit or they're s selling their body, right? Look, all of those different things and, and we would become angry. We would become hurt and we would become vexed, not so much because of our child, because of love for our child. And of course, we would be angry at the decisions that they are making, but our anger would go towards the, the concept and the idea of evil and addiction that has taken place in their life. And that is the, the concept or that is the, the vision of how God's anger is manifested inside of the hearts of his children. So, all right, we're going to jump into uh, the next topic tomorrow, but I, I gave a good setup for what we are going to talk about. I think it's important to, to discuss the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so we can see in its entirety the narrative and the story of the conditions of men's heart. But I'm definitely not going to leave you there, brothers. I'm going to take you on a journey. So I appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.